Well, I am glad we can be together here this morning. We are continuing our walk through the Sermon on the Mount. We are almost done. Just a few more weeks of this. Um, uh, so uh, we're calling this series Jesus' Donkey Kingdom Manifesto. Uh, Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey, uh, which fulfilled a prophecy about the coming king for the Jewish people. Uh, so it was a symbol of his kingship, but it was also a symbol of the kind of kingdom he was bringing. He wasn't bringing a kingdom of war horses. He was bringing a kingdom of donkeys. <laughs> the prophecy that he fulfilled in doing this said that he comes in righteousness, uh, victory, and lowliness. That's our donkey Messiah, and we are his donkey kingdom citizens. Uh, and the Sermon on the Mount kind of acts as his manifesto that tells us how we're supposed to live in that kingdom. So we're going to be in Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 to 14 today. Uh, if you're using one of the Bibles in the rows next to you, that's on page 460. Uh, I will give you a moment to turn to that in your Bibles, in a church Bible, in, in a Bible app on your phone, whatever you've got, you can get there. Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. Uh, while you're flipping there, I want to tell you a little bit about one particular season uh, in my life a few years ago. So Andrea and I had made the difficult decision to quit the job that I had uh, at the time to pursue being a pastor. At the time, I had a great job as a paralegal in the legal department of a large entertainment company in New York, um, but we were feeling the call to leave that and move into full-time pastoral ministry. Uh, but we also decided that if we were going to do this, we should do it right, uh, which meant going to seminary, which is grad school for pastors. Um, now, my undergraduate degree uh, was in theater, and I told myself, that's enough. I'm done. <laughs> I, I did it. I got the piece of paper. No more school. I loved college. Loved college. But it was the people, not the classes. I always said college would have been great if not for the classes. Um, so anyway, the thought of going back for a graduate degree, the thought of doing that as a theater major, right? Not a, anyway. It was daunting. It was incredibly daunting to me, like imposter syndrome and all that kind of stuff, you know, like do I even belong in a, in a place like graduate school? But we had committed, so I, I jumped into it. Uh, well, it was also around that time that I got my first pastor job at a church in New Jersey. Uh, my job in New York actually hadn't wound up yet, and I would actually continue to hold my position as a paralegal for almost a full year after I started as a pastor in that church. So if you're counting, uh, through that year of 2018, uh, we moved from our home of 15 years in Brooklyn to a new place in New Jersey. I started into a job that I'd never had before at a church. I still commuted three to four days a week into the city for my paralegal job, which is about three hours each way. Uh, I was doing seminary on top uh, for my, of that for my master's degree. Had three little kids who were adjusting to the new place. And oh yeah, a wife. <laughs> Two full-time jobs, schooling, moving and family at several points along the way i wondered is this really worth it right is this really worth it at the time i had gotten a job as a pastor and i hadn't finished seminary so i had the job i was looking for great i don't need the degree but i mean i kind of said i was going to finish the degree so I, they were waiting for that too 
is this really worth it? Have any of you ever felt that? Like, is, is it really worth it? Your, your, your situation, obviously, probably different from mine. But have you ever found yourself going through a particularly difficult season or doing something really hard, a difficult task, and you're like, man, is this really worth it? Well, where we are in the Sermon on the Mount today gets us to ask this question about our faith journey, actually. So let's check it out. We're in, again, Matthew 7, verse 13. It says, Jesus says, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. All right, so I want to mention just a couple of things from this passage that I actually talked about last summer in our Healthy Tensions series. I was looking at this passage, uh, but they bear repeating. So if you remember all this perfectly from a year ago, uh, just bear with me. So uh, the first thing that I wanted to, to touch on here is that these couple of verses are oftentimes thought of as having to do with the initial event of salvation, right? Meaning we apply it to the making of the decision to follow Jesus. Right? We say that accepting Jesus into your heart is not the way that the crowds choose, only the few find it. It's a small gate of entry. Uh, and, and while that's true, it's not complete. Right? These verses talk about gates and roads. The gate might be a decent representation for the initial decision to believe in Jesus, but the road symbolizes the journey. Right? All of your walk after your decision to make Jesus Lord of your life. It's, it's about more than just making a one-time decision. It's about all of the decisions you make after that. Right? It's about following Jesus. It's about faithfulness. It's about becoming more and more like Jesus. A gate and a road. The second thing I want to mention about these verses I actually found fascinating uh, so you'll notice that the word narrow appears twice in the translation that we're using today. Uh, but in the original Greek, those were actually two different words. So uh, when it says narrow in verse 13, the Greek word was stenas, uh, which means narrow or straight. Kind of what we would typically think of as narrow, right? Hard, hard to find, it's smaller, that kind of thing. But the second narrow in verse 14 is the Greek word thlebo, which means afflicted, narrow, or compressed. It's actually the same word that's used in 1 Corinthians 4, verse 8. We are hard-pressed on every side, thlebo. So looking at what this means is that not only is the gate uh, on the way to life small and few find it, but the road to life is hard. It's difficult. It's afflicted. Isn't that great news? <laughs> Yay! These verses are not verses of comfort. Right? These aren't the verses that you turn to when you need to pick me up. Right? Oh, man, today was so hard. Now let me go in the Bible. Let's see, what does Matthew have for me? Oh, yeah, that's right. Life is going to suck. Thanks for the reminder. Yeah, great. <laughs> Now, of course, that's an oversimplification. It's not saying that life will suck. It's saying that the road of following Jesus isn't going to always be rainbows and unicorns. Right? Jesus is often giving warnings to people about the cost 
of following him. Matthew, or, uh, Mark chapter 8, verse 34, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Then in Matthew 8, 19, then a teacher of the law came to him, to Jesus, and said, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus replied, thanks, that's great. No, he didn't. He said, you might be homeless. He said, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the son of man, Jesus, has no place to lay his head. Then Luke 14 says, whoever does not carry their cross, which is something you die on, and follow me, cannot be my disciple. He never tried to hide the fact that following him would be difficult. Now, we have to acknowledge that the, the difficulties, what constitutes difficult, um, of the difficulties of following Jesus are different from different times in different places. Right Back when Jesus was saying this, the ruling authority was a Roman Caesar who claimed to be a god. He claimed to be deity. So following Jesus could result in your death, either at the hands of Rome for treason or at the hands of the religious elite for blasphemy. And this was true for the first almost 300 years of the early Christian church's existence. Today in America, in our current context, following Jesus won't mean your death. It, it doesn't mean treason, it doesn't mean blasphemy, but it could mean being ostracized a little bit. Okay. It could mean losing some friends. It might also mean losing some family, depending on what your family situation is. Make no mistake that there are still costs to following Jesus. Perhaps one of the most difficult stances that we can take as Christians these days pertains to the exclusivity claims of Jesus. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, let me read off a few statements from Scripture here, and I want to see how, that, how it settles with you, how it feels with you. Acts 4, 11. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Romans 10.9 If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And then John 14, 6, Jesus answered, I, Jesus, am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Jesus isn't holding back. 
particularly with that last one. As followers of Jesus, as people who take the Bible seriously, we believe that Jesus is the only way to God. There aren't many paths to get to the same destination. There's only Jesus. Now, this isn't the point of our sermon today. This is to merely point out that this claim, the, what we call the exclusivity claims of Jesus, are some of the most difficult to swallow in our current cultural climate, where a claim like that just sounds so incredibly arrogant and prideful, right? But I, I do want to say just a couple of things about this here before we move on. Uh, one, we have no room for pride as Christians. That option is not open to us. We're not gatekeepers keeping people out of the kingdom or hiding it from others. In fact, the whole reason Jesus came to earth was to show people the way to life. To, to, to blow open the doors so that anyone and everyone can know. It's not some secret. The doors are open wide for everyone. We just read from Romans 10, 13 that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Not just those who go to church every week. Not just the ones with squeaky clean backgrounds. Not just those who have made all the right decisions in their life. <laughs> Everyone. The second thing I'd like to point out about this, and I say this humbly, is what kind of faith or what kind of religion would it be if it didn't believe it was correct? Right? I mean, this claim that Christianity is the way to life, that Jesus is the way to life, we do not believe is an arrogant claim because we believe that it is true, truth is not arrogant. Now, it can be held arrogantly. It can be communicated arrogantly. But as Christians, as donkey kingdom citizens, we do not have that choice. We cannot be arrogant about this because we did nothing to earn it. Or, or, or discover it. Jesus showed us. Jesus did the work. That knowledge should humble us, not make us proud. We should be the most loving and serving and caring people on the planet, not the most judgmental. We're simply trying to show people the way that we were shown. And so we love like Jesus did. And we care like Jesus did. So, all of this to say, <laughs> the exclusivity claims of Jesus, those are hard, that's a hard belief to hold these days. That's hard. If you want to find yourself on the path that's nice and broad and tons of people on it, say that you can believe anything that you want, and it'll get you to the same place as long as you're sincere. Right? But we can't do that with Christianity. If, if you hold to the fact that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, you just might find yourself with fewer people on the journey with you, and the walk may be just a little bit tougher. Another example here of a difficult belief. One value for the brethren in Christ, which is the denomination that we belong to, uh, is that violence is not the answer. <laughs> Uh, that we should pursue life and peaceful resolution of conflict. Uh, now, this, this pacifist stance gets put down in our culture 
these days, even in other Christian circles, uh, as being naive, uh, impractical, you know, pie in the sky kind of a thing. And yeah, it is impractical. <laughs> it's impractical. It is the harder path. That of non-retaliation. That of non-violent resolution of conflict. But we believe it to be the best way to interpret the entire witness of the Bible. It's a hard stance to take these days. So, you discouraged yet? <laughs> a lot of this can sound really hard. Right? Like, not good news. Right? Like, we must choose this difficult and terrible road. It'll cost you your friends, your livelihood, your house, your dog. It'll make you go bald. Your armpits will always be smelly. Your clothes will always be out of fashion. Your pet fish is going to resent you. Like, all these terrible things. So following Jesus is difficult. Why would we do it? Well, the first thing I would say is that, yes, it can be hard. But there is joy in following Jesus. Listen to Psalm 16, verse 11. You make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Notice the phrase path of life. It's talking about the narrow, the difficult road to life. And in that path, we are filled with joy in his presence. We are given eternal pleasures through him. There are good things to be found along this difficult path. If we ever find ourselves walking this path to life and encountering difficulties, and we start asking the question that we asked at the beginning, is this worth it? we can be assured that the answer is yes. And we accept a lot of things that are worth accomplishing will be difficult. Right? We accept that. Right? We, we go to school because we believe that the degree is worth it. Right? It takes years, it takes dollars, it takes investment of time and energy, but it's worth it to us. We invest in relationships, even when there might be disagreements or challenges, because having tight relationships is worth it. We practice an instrument for years, right? Because we believe being able to then play that instrument will be worth it. We practice a sport. We cook, build, craft, whatever it is, because we believe that then knowing how to do those things will be worth it. So it's not that difficulty is a concept that we're unfamiliar with or that we can't accept. It's just that we don't want our faith to be difficult. We want it to work for us. We want it to be a comfort for us. We want it to be as easy as it can be and not challenge us in any way. Religion is for comfort, not for challenge or growth. And now listen, our faith will be a tremendous comfort to us along the way. When you face the death of a loved one, sickness, financial hardship, Jesus will be a tremendous comfort and presence to you along the way. You can talk to anyone in this room who has suffered and they can tell you 
about the presence of Jesus with them. So that is real. But Jesus will also call you to take some difficult stances. And that can be tough. And again, is it worth it? Absolutely. And one of the reasons the answer is absolutely is because when we go back to our passage from today, we realize that the paths themselves are not the ends. And if that were the case, then absolutely, I would choose the broader path, you know? Like, let me take the path that has room for, for a camper, right, an RV, so that I can take all my stuff with me. I can have a bed, a kitchenette, and a bathroom, right? Not the path that makes me sleep on the ground and feel every rock in my back. But we see that the paths are not the ends in themselves. They each lead to something. One leads to destruction, and the other leads to life. This is what gives us the criteria to choose which path to take. Listen, church, here we go. Don't let the difficulties of the path distract you from the destination of the path. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Focus on the destination. This is the way to life. The way is hard, but the way is worth it. Can you say that out loud with me here just real quick? The way is hard, but the way is worth it. This Thlebo road, this difficult and hard road, forms us into sharper and clearer images of Jesus. Every person who has ever walked this earth is an image bearer of God. That truth comes from the Christian scriptures. It doesn't mean that we're little gods ourselves. It means that we have his imprint. Right? When, when angels look at us, they should go, Whoa, you're the spitting image of your heavenly father. We act like him. We love like him. We serve like him. We care like him. And all of this awakens us to see the beauty of every individual on this planet. It awakens us to the life of Jesus here that moves us to love others and move them to know the love of Jesus too. The way is hard, but the way is worth it. This is the way. <laughs> I, I had to. I was wearing my Mandalorian shirt when I was editing this sermon once, so for the, that was for you Disney Plus fans. I finished my degree. I wrapped up my job in New York. I've even moved another time since that previous season in life. And yeah, all the, those steps on the journey had some pain in them. Some of them had a lot of pain. But here I am, standing on the other side of that season anyway, just a little bit more like Jesus. Maybe not a spitting image, but by his grace, he's forming me and molding me through all of my experiences, good and bad, because that's what he does. He takes all of our good and bad experiences and makes good come from them. He is powerful enough to do that. He is loving enough to do that. 
And he is faithful enough to do that. The way is hard, but the way is worth it. It is the way of life. So let's, let's go to God now to ask for more of his spirit. To strengthen us as we face the Jesus direction and start walking that way. Would you pray with me? Oh, Lord. You did not call us <laughs> to comfortable, soft mattresses and pillows along the way. <laughs> there will be moments of respite. Your spirit will comfort us and guide us, give us certainty, give us love and life. But God, there will be moments when we are called to make some hard decisions. Lord, help us to love you, to prioritize you enough to make those decisions. And God, though there are fewer on this difficult and narrow road, there aren't none. <laughs> so Lord, as we are all called together to follow Jesus, may we walk that difficult path together so that we are not alone physically or spiritually with your presence with us. God, help us to carry each other's burdens, walk with each other, and encourage and love each other along the way. Thank you for giving us your spirit, your very presence, and thank you for giving us your body, us, the people here who call you their Savior and their Lord. Lord, give us courage. Give us faith. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen.